This week on Writers, Inc. You know, men do a very good job of documenting their history. You guys wrote letters. You have you find your diaries all the time. But women, it's I mean, we, we are very grateful to have Anne Frank's diary because women, it they're not there. Um, and so trying to put together women's history, it's a complicated tale, but it's, it's something I love. And I love digging in old documents and and finding, you know, uh, folk tales and trying to weave what part is true, what part is not. And, and to me, it's just it is just so much fun. J.K. Rowling was nearly homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. Stephen King penned Carrie in a small desk wedged between a washer and dryer. James Patterson worked in advertising and famously crafted the Toys R Us theme song long before becoming an author. Join New York Times bestseller J.D. Barker and indie powerhouses Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon as they pull back the curtain on some of the world's most prolific authors. Where do they start? What is their process? The biggest names in publishing all have origin stories, all have tips and secrets, what does it take to consistently top the best-seller lists and become a household name? Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's Inc. All right. I, I think we just need to hit this head-on. Let's just come out and say it. Uh, Zach's fired. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you tell him? Because I didn't want to have that conversation. So if you do it, I, I changed the Squadcast link. So he's probably sitting in a room waiting for us. And, uh, well, you know, he'll find out, I guess. All right. Well, I never gave him my real email address or phone <laughs> number, so he, he can't find me. So. Now, for those those of you who tune in weekly just to hear Zach, Zach is not here this week, but he'll he'll be back at at some point. How, how long is he actually gone for? I know he told us, but I tend to tune him off when he talks. <laughs> it's fun taking shots at him when he's what not he said? here. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think he is out this episode and next episode, and then he'll be back. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so I was going to talk about Stranger Things, but we should probably hold that one until... I'm assuming you back. finished it um, completely. It, oh. No, we're, we're actually, we just finished episode okay. seven, which was, you know, what we were talking about is like the first cliffhanger. Um, and now we're, we're digging into episode okay. eight tonight. Um, we, we tend to watch these because I, I mentioned, like, I, I tend to watch stuff in the theater, you know, for about an hour before my wife comes in because she puts our daughter to bed and reads her stories and, and all that kind of stuff. And like, I've tried doing that, but like, I'm the fun parent. <laughs> so if I go in my daughter's room at night, like all she wants to do is play and play and play. And like, we'll be up till midnight just doing random shit. Um, so my, my wife actually is in charge of doing the, you know, the, the real responsible stuff. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like making sure she gets bathed and fed and, you know, essentially just kept alive. Like I'm, I'm allowed to play with her, but, you know, she recharged. My wife changes the batteries. I guess that's probably the best way to look at it. Um, but anyway, so I, I watch stuff in the theater and then she comes in and then depending on what time that is, my wife tends to get up really early because she tries to get up at like five in the morning to, to work out and get, you know, a couple hours of uh, basically time to herself before the rest of the world wakes up. Um, so she's in bed at like nine. So sometimes we get like oh, maybe right. a 20 minute window to, to watch stuff, you know, so it's one episode sort of stranger things you know and they're yeah. long this season like that that could be a week-long project for us um but yeah we're, we're finally um we finished up episode episode seven yesterday and now we're, we're pushing into episode eight and, it, and it's yeah. good it, it's probably my favorite season i think so far um i've been pulling my hair out with, with yeah facebook, what's up with facebook and, and you don't you don't you, you don't advertise no, i'm not facebook, currently right? now all right. So I've got my own stuff kind of running on a, a machine. Like, you know, it's not a whole lot that I have to do there. I've got a lot of you know people that are monitoring and, and you know, just kind of tweaking it on a day-to-day basis. Um, but I've been trying to get uh, ITW to, to do some Facebook advertising because, um, you know, the Thriller Writers Organization, they've got tons of content. I mean, you've got every panel from every Thriller Fest, um, you know, tons of town halls and, you know, you know, stuff that's been written by the, the various members and, you know, just all this material that's just kind of sitting out there and nobody really knows about it. It's all up on the website, but unless you dig for it, you really can't find it. Um, so I came up with this bright idea to create some Facebook ads and just kind of market them towards authors on Facebook and, you know, draw some traffic, you know, to basically help us with recruitment and, you know, just, you know, just to tune, you know, help our members kind of find some of this material too. <clears throat> so me being the Facebook guy, because apparently I'm the only one in ITW <laughs> that actually does Facebook ads anymore. Um, I got tasked with setting this up and it's been a freaking nightmare um first of all the the itw page was created so long ago that it's you know like nobody really knows who started it it's just been kind of passed on from person to person so like answering those initial security questions are like a nightmare because nobody knows what they are um they tried to add me as a user to that the, that particular group 
but I've got 18 different <laughs> Facebook accounts um, based based on regions. You know, it's a different languages and stuff like that. So like them finding and adding me is like near impossible. And my own personal profile on Facebook is like hidden behind all the privacy stuff, you know, like so that people can't actually find, you know, where I'm, I'm you know, just putting pictures out there for my family and stuff like there's a public side and the rest. Um, so they weren't able to do that. So I ended up having to create a profile just strictly just to link to this account. And we did that. Um, we got in there, created our first ad, knocked all that out, went in there to plug in a credit card and it wouldn't take a credit card. And at first we thought it was because, you know, it was an ITW card and it just didn't match the, the name that I used on the account. Um, but then I tried plugging in one of my own credit cards and it wouldn't take that either. And it says that I have to contact Facebook in order to, to rectify whatever this problem is. But there's no phone number, no link, no nothing. It just says contact <laughs> Facebook, you know, like, you know, like, you know, you're supposed to raise your hand or something and Facebook understands that you're trying to reach them. Um, so I, I've got no clue where we go with this next, but like it's been, it's been driving me in, insane just trying to create, you know, one simple little ad. We're probably going to spend five to $10 a day in advertising on, you know, no, nothing crazy. Um, but I probably spent like a good, you know, if I had to guess 10 hours oh. over the last week and a half trying to get this to work. Is, is so, there, uh, this fine. is going to sound stupid, but like, is there a reason why you just wouldn't create a new ITW like page and, I, I suppose we could probably do that. Um, but, you know, there's already followers linked to the other one um, and there's, you know, 10 years worth of content or whatever, you know, on, on that one. So I don't I don't know if that would even work. Um, I mean, we'd basically be starting over. Um, and ultimately, I'm not going to be the one who who manages this. I'm, I'm just kind of setting it up and then I'm going to hand it off to somebody else who's going to, you know, keep it going on a regular basis. So it doesn't really make sense for you know, me to do that. Uh, well, we'll come up with something, but it just, you know, like Facebook, I think at this point has gotten so big, you know, like, like I've got a Facebook rep. I talked to her today um, and she wasn't able to look at this, uh, this particular account because it's not, you know, like her phone call wasn't set up to look at oh, that right. account. She was you know, call, calling me based on my account and she only has access to the ones that are assigned to her. So she couldn't even look at it to tell me what the problem was. Um, and she couldn't tell me who to contact, you know? So like somebody, you know, I, I spent 10 to $30,000 a month on Facebook ads and they, they couldn't tell me who to, who to call on wow. this other account. So yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Makes me, makes me want to just advertise on TikTok. <laughs> how, how is uh, what's, TikTok what's, doing these days? That's actually, it's lighting yeah. up and it, and it's funny because I'm, I'm, you know, like I, I, I only see the reports, but you know, like I, I see the titles, I can see which ones are, are working. Um, and when they first started, it was primarily like romance novels, you know, like there's four or five books in every email that goes out to the, the, the list of influencers and you can see which books they're, they're requesting. Um, and straight off the bat, it was just all the romance titles. If there was a, you know, half naked guy on the cover with, with nice abs, you know, it got tons of downloads. Um, but I've been seeing that it's skew. I, like our latest one from this past week was more of a, a sci-fi uh, thriller um you know so like there's they're starting to branch out into other things so I, I i don't know if that's because the influencers are branching out or you know if it just it started with romance now it's starting to grow into other things um you know other people migrating from the other advertising sources like facebook over to tiktok you know it's it's, it's really hard to say but i do see that world getting bigger and it's almost at the point like on a subscription standpoint like we've got so many requests coming in um i, I think they're booking like february of next year already for these these emails um so we're, you know, we had a, a conversation yesterday about possibly branching it out and instead of having one email, you know, for, for everything, you know, break it down by, by genre, similar to like what BookBub does. Um, so that might be the, the next step with it. Um, you know, the, the funny thing is I've, I've, I, I always slip in one of my books in, in a lot of these emails, like at the very last, you know, you can request the two or three titles that are sponsored. And then at the very bottom, I always have one of my titles or I try to, um, and I've been using broken thing a lot and I've seen the ranking in that go, you know, move quite a bit. Um, this morning it was like 10,000 something in the, the Kindle store without any other advertising, you know, and there hasn't been for probably two to three years or so on that particular title. Um, but if I look at it, it's been, you know, it was probably around 60,000 when we started doing, you know, just including it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's working on that, that front too. So it makes me curious, like when I, you know, my next title is, you know, it's a full on thriller for sure. Um, but I think it'll appeal to the, the romance um, influencers that are out there. So I'm curious what's going to happen when I actually put it out in front of that group after they've seen my name for, you know, basically about two years, um, you know, hit, hitting them up for, for various things. So here's so. a related question for you. Uh, I've been doing for a, for a different project, I've been doing some research on mystery, thriller, suspense, specifically on Amazon. So I looked at the February Kalytics report from Alex Newton. I started going through some of the best seller charts. And what I'm finding is that um, romance has pretty much hijacked just about every subgenre that's out there. Like if you go to, if you go down to like thrillers, crime fiction, organized crime, 
it's all like reverse harem books and guys with bare chests on the cover in like the top 20 organized crime. Like I thought, Oh, isn't this like stories about the mafia? Apparently not. Apparently it's all about bare chested guys. Um, there, there, and there's a few other ones that were just really discouraging. Cause I'm like, if you're trying to write, um, or publish a, a sort of a very specific subgenre. How do you compete with like all the 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 romance books that are now taking those spots? Well, I don't know. Do you compete, or you just try to join? I join don't know. The crowd? Like, yeah. <laughs> become become a romance writer. Um, I mean, what what I'm honestly doing? My next thriller is very heavy, and and uh, romance probably isn't the word. Um, there's a lot of sex in, in in it to the point where I've I've you know been researching what I can get away with and what <laughs> I can't. You know, because I don't I don't want to trip up you know like erotica type flags on on Amazon or anything like that or turn off editors. Um, but I'm trying to really push that envelope you know so i'm you know looking at things like 50 shades you know like what were they able to include and get away with and um you know there's other books out there too and i'm honestly very surprised by how much sex appears in young adult books like i I would have never even considered that um but like i found several where like they're flagged as mature content but they're geared towards young adults and and they're like you know they're racing i mean there's some serious hardcore content in there you know like cinemax after dark type stuff (laughs) nice 80s Um, reference there (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a it's a weird world, but yeah, I think what's happening is you know a lot of authors are they they see romance being the biggest category out there, and let's say they wrote two or three thrillers before and they didn't quite take off. They're trying to figure out how to you know blend those two worlds together. Like, how do I take the thriller and put it in there? How do I write a you know a book about the mafia and make it a you know something that's going to appeal to this crowd? And a lot of that is just it all comes down to the marketing. You can take a you know a solid mafia book, and if there's a good romance in that story, you slap a different cover on it, change your blurb around a little bit. And, you know, who knows, it, it might work. So I think there's a lot of people chasing that particular tale um, and vice versa. I think there's a lot of romance authors that, you know, may, may or may not necessarily want to write romance, want to branch out. Um, but they've got this existing, you know, back catalog of stuff and they've got readers that they've got to carry over too. So I think it's just, a, it's a natural evolution yeah. in a lot of ways. Uh, frustrating at times too, but um, just, just, just throw a bare-chested guy in the front of your book. That's it. Call it reverse harem in your subtitle, <laughs> and you're good to go. <laughs> yep. What's going on uh, with you? So as we're recording this, it's been two days since the Carbon Almanac published, and uh, that's been it's been pretty interesting to watch that. Um, more so from just like a, an author perspective, like to kind of see, you know, how Penguin Random House operates, how they interact with the Amazon marketplace. Uh, I really don't know what to expect. Like the the Kindle version. I think so far it peaked at, at maybe two or three thousand in the Kindle store, which isn't necessarily all that all that high. But like this is a this is a book that's really not designed as an ebook. I mean, Seth go to basically said, "Don't buy the ebook. It's you're not going to get the full experience." So I don't know how you know how accurate that is as far as looking at rank. But I did notice that the Amazon paperback peaked at like five oh five in the store. Um, so, but again, like, I don't think most of the people who are buying this book are buying it from Amazon. I think they're buying it from bookshop. I think they're buying it from independent booksellers. So, um, yeah, it's just been fun to kind of watch, you know, and, and just kind of see, you know, what, uh, what the rankings are doing and, um, have to wait a few weeks to see where that, where it ends up on the list. But it's been, it's been an interesting experience. Well, I can tell you from personal experience that the rankings on Amazon aren't going to tell you whether you're going to hit the the New York Times list. Um, I I think every title that I've had on the Times list, I I don't think any of them actually broke like the top 100 on the Amazon Kindle store Um, this this early on. Like you're you're only two days into sales. Um, So typically what I've I've seen happen is you're going to get the results. You know, the New York Times list, if it appears on there, will be uh, the one that comes out this coming Wednesday. So a couple days after this episode airs, Um, if it appears there, then you're going to see a big spike in in your overall sales because it gets a little Uh flag on the on the book itself saying that it's an NYT bestseller. Um, They're going to see the Kindle sales jump up. Up, um, a lot more on the print. I mean, all, all the traditional publishers focus very heavily right. on print, more so than the, the ebook. Um, you know, all the, all those different things factor in. But yeah, you've got a you've got a good week of of waiting before you're really going to have an yeah. answer there. Now, now, did you find out like just because yeah, you're technically like I guess a co-author on on this particular book? Like, if if it hits the list, like is that going to count? Like, I, you... I guess it's up to me is if I want to consider the letters <laughs> or not. You know, what, what's interesting yeah. about it is back in January. Uh, I, I told Seth, um, in the, in the public forum, I said, you know, we should try and get as many 
authors claiming this through Author Central is possible because if they're if they've already published, when the book publishes, Amazon will send out those auto emails based on you know your readership, and so a few of us, I, I thought a lot of people. Um, went that route, but there might be a lot of people who didn't or who are not, who don't have author central accounts, maybe who haven't published before. So when the book, when the book went live, it looks like it's just like me and Seth and two other people wrote it because uh, like on the, on the product page, because we're the only ones attached to it through author central. So um, I mean, technically like I did, I did write portions of that. I consider myself to be one of the authors. There's 300 or so authors. So uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm just going to kind of wait and see what happens. I don't, I mean, it, 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 especially for nonfiction, I don't think it matters too much to me. And this is a, this is a completely volunteer effort, nonprofit sort of a- activity. So I, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not thinking too hard about it, but I, I, I'd love to hit the list. I'd love to see it on the list. There's no doubt about that. Well, when you go to the Amazon page, are you actually listed as one of the authors yes. up on the top? Well, I, oh, I don't know about you on the are, top, okay. but like I haven't checked that. But when you scroll down, it, my my embedded profile pic from Amazon is there along with like four or five other people. Okay, because the way that it, it, it typically works is like the New York Times list is searchable. Mm. Um, so the author names that are tied to the individual titles like that ends up in a database and it can be searched later. So like you, you need to be part of that database in order to technically, I mean, you could claim it all day long if you wanted to, but like for actual proof, you'd have to be able to yeah. show up in there. Um, and from what I've seen, they tend to match what you see on the Amazon page, you know, up at the very top, unless there's a lot of authors, because I think if I remember right, there's only either three slots or five slots or something that Amazon actually allows you to put up at the top there um so yeah it's going to be a, a tricky thing um but we'll yeah, see i mean it's all up to the publisher so i don't i don't know however they're handling it they're handling it but yeah all right yes, sir um uh, so uh, as we're as always want to thank our wonderful sponsors over there at kobo writing life if you are self-publishing books wide you absolutely have to go direct to Kobo Writing Life. You keep all your rights, they have monthly monthly promotional opportunities, and you get all of that without any exclusivity agreements. Link in the show notes or go directly there at KoboWritingLife.com. JD, who is up this week? All right, this week we've got Vanessa Riley. She writes Regency romances and historical fiction with powerful persons of color. Um, she's written some of the, the strongest female leads that I, I think I've ever read in, in a novel. Um, her, her latest novel is called Sister Mother Warrior, and it released on July 12th. So here she is, Vanessa Riley. Uh, so tell me about your grandma's cakes. Oh, my goodness. Um <laughs> My grandma, uh, from uh, Grandma Joyce, she would send us these cakes in a metal tin. And the metal tin, you know, she's centered on Tobago. And so the little scuffs and scratches on the tin, we didn't really think about. Until we learned later, she used to bury them for six months in the backyard. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. So she buries them. I'm not sure what that's supposed to do. But the cakes were delicious. (laughs) Rich dark uh they they were beautiful so you know more power to burying food in the backyard i guess i don't know do you hoard those recipes or do you share them um i did unfortunately i didn't get a recipe oh before she passed away so i am like on the hunt for this recipe but once again it's like did your grandma bury it in the back (laughs) okay this is not gonna quite be it but we'll try it (laughs) Oh, well, uh, uh, that's it's making me hungry. So maybe we should talk about your wonderful new book that's just uh, it's just come out or it's all, depending where when you're listening. Uh, Sister Mother Warrior. Uh, this was such a rich experience. Um, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about it? Thank you. First of all, thank you very much. Yes. Um, this was a labor of love. Um, I had as as most everyone did. You watched Black Panther, right? Yes. And you you saw the Dory Mayage and, you know, what kind of ever. And these were the protectors of the king. Well, I got very interested in that because I had heard a rumor that that was based on a, a real tribe, a real group of warrior women. So I was like, let's find out what this is, right? And then I stumble upon uh, Grand Toya, Abadoya Toya, who was a Dahomey warrior. She was one of the Minos, which which is what the Dori Miyage is, is actually modeled after. They were protectors of the king. And so you get this fabulous warrior who gets enslaved, ends up in Santa Domingue, 
Uh, and she's teaching the children everything that she learned about troop movement and all these sorts of things. And one young man whom she pours into uh, becomes the guy who li literally liberates Haiti, which is was formerly Santa Domingue, uh, liberates Haiti, Jean-Jacques Desilines. So, I mean, it's like he, this man who comes from enslavement who can is is looked upon as like one of the military geniuses of the time his troop movements, understanding terrain and position of the moon. And the, I mean, it's all this comes from this woman and she gets no credit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah. a comic book or something yeah. like that. Like it's, it's real bad. Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, I have a BA in history, so I kind of have a little, uh, I, I have a little thing for historical fiction and your approach to this uh, was just masterful. You, you kind of took two different, um, characters, right? Can you talk about sort of the the, the choices yeah. there and, and how you approached writing each of those? Absolutely. So to tell, to do justice to, to the story, it's it's extremely complex. Um, and if you get any bit of it in, in your history class, you get a snippet here and it, it doesn't, it, and depending upon who's telling it, the story they want to enforce, you'll get very wrong colors of, of, of people who were, who really should look to be looked at as maybe heroic or at the moment in time they did something heroic. They may not have had the greatest character in the world. I'm just saying, but they did some, you know, people rose to the moment, but you never really get this. And so to tell Haiti's story just through Grantoya isn't sufficient. Um, you need to look at the, because she's telling, basically she'll be, she's the modeling of the enslaved story. Um, and how it affected women. But there were a number of free women, free black women, free women of color during that time frame. Their stories are different, but for Haiti to be free, all the stories have to mesh together. So it was finding this connection through Jean-Jacques, his, his future wife, uh, the, the future empress, uh, Marie-Claire Bonaire was, was a godsend. And then just in my own weird uh, research, knowing that both Jean-Jacques and Mary Claire were born in the same year, literally a couple of weeks apart. I'm like, oh my God, that's a, that's a story to itself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Uh, you know, we won't get into specific spoilers, although I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that uh, the the uh, the Haitian people throughout the French, like, I, I think we can say that much, right? <laughs> you can literally say that. All right, Your yeah. history books actually say that. Yeah. Um, so that, that shouldn't be a spoiler. The, you know, basically the, the oppressed people won. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tell me about the research that, that went into this. How did you do it? Where did you go? What was your process like? Um, this one was a, typically I am um, I'm a timeline girl. So I have a view of the world between 1750 to 1830. And I, this timeline, I throw everything on it from every war, from the different countries, because even though we look at it and we say these are oceans apart, the world was really small. So you knew what was going on in America. You knew what was going on in Spain or, or France or England. And if you're in the West Indies, it all affects you because that's the colonization piece. That's the part of enslavement. That's everybody's affecting you. So you know what was going on. So you have the span of the world and then you try and go from a micro level. What was, where was she? Where was, where was Mary Clear? Where was uh, Toya? And what's going on with the local politics? Because even on a, on a, a small island like uh, uh, Santa Domingue, which is both Haiti and Santa, Domi uh, Santa Domingue, there's things going on, there's rebellions, there's there's all these sorts of things and you wanna get a good sense of that. The difficult part, or actually a couple difficult parts in this is there hasn't been enough research to nail down things. So things have been codified in folklore, um, in songs, in, in different traditions. And so trying to wrestle all that and say definitively, this happened at this point in time, sometimes it's really, it got a little hard. Like, there are at least two or three recorded weddings for Mary Claire Bonaire and Jean-Jacques Desalines. Mm -hmm. And each one of them looked extremely plausible. I couldn't tell you which one. So I, <laughs> I might've put them all in. <laughs> so, so more study needs to be done. Um, the French, when they left, took a lot of the records um, and things like that. And then through just natural disasters, earthquakes, et cetera, et cetera, things are lost. So more scholarship needs to be done. I wanted to be as fair as possible. You know, I translated a hell of a lot of French. 
I'm just saying, four, high school French does not pay oh, off. Oh, you did it with your high school French. That's impressive. <laughs> four years of high school French. It was it was pretty good, but you know, had to go defer to a couple of experts, a couple of uh, politicians. <laughs> Wow. Uh, yeah, you, you, you must have really enjoyed that process, though. I am such a nerd. I love <laughs> research. I completely love it. Um, and to me, it's it's so important to tell these stories. Um, you know, men do a very good job of documenting their history. You guys wrote letters. You have you find your diaries all the time. Um, and, you know, y'all might be slightly more of a gossip than some people. Uh, <laughs> just say it. Just say it, right? But women, it's, I mean, we, we are very grateful to have Anne Frank's diary because women, it they're not there. Um, and so trying to put together women's history, become, it, it's a complicated tale, but it's it's something I love. And I love digging in, in old documents and, and finding, you know, um, folk tales and trying to weave what part is true, what part is not. And, and to me, it's just, it is just so much fun. And if I can, people aren't going to sit down and write and uh, read an encyclopedia. You know, they may read a wiki page, but you know, half the time those are wrong. Uh, <laughs> but if I could put it together in a way that's digestible to make you think more about the subject, to help you understand the conditions on the ground, that's my job. Um, and I love it. Well, I want to ask you a little bit something about your job here because you <laughs> you have a work history and a resume that I don't find with many novelists. Uh, really? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the doctorate in mechanical engineering and master's in industrial engineering and management from Stanford and the BS and MS in mechanical engineering from Penn State to a novelist. How does that happen? Yes. So, so blame my mother. Blame my mother. Um, when I was in high school, I was... Like I said, I was a nerd, right? So I'm on the academic team. I'm on the math team. I'm uh, science club, science president, all these sorts of fun things, right? But I also wrote. So I was winning awards on this side. And my mama sat me down one day and she was like, baby, you always need to pay your bills. And the unfortunate story is, you know, people who look like me, you don't hear having full-time careers. I mean, you, said, you know, you have to go way, way back to maybe Zora and Neil Hertz and these kind of folks to have full-time careers. But when I'm growing up, there's, there, you know, it's a distant, it's a lightning strike for that to happen. Um, but I will absolutely say she's very correct. You can't pay your bills with engineering. <laughs> it does wonders. <laughs> um, and, it, you know, for me, the engineering teaches you to perfect two questions, how and why. How does something exist? Why does it exist? What are the rules of the system? And I apply that to my research because that's why I, I want you to feel like you're really there. And so the, and, 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 you know, I do have to go back and cut out the, you know, the, the rabbit hole levels of, you know, you really don't want to understand how cloth is woven in this particular, <laughs> you don't want to know. I, uh, but to me, I, I think it adds a richness being able to dissect and think and break things down and keep pushing those questions. That's my engineering background coming in that, that detailed uh, nature. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm blessed. I feel very fortunate to be able to tell stories and, and I love it. That's beautiful. Now I know that uh, a lot of engineers, I'm sure you do as well, think very analytically. Uh, that's kind of what you're trained to do. So how do you balance that analytical side with the more free flowing or creative side? Um, it may take me two weeks to figure out one little thing, but then the, 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 the creative side is like, you know, you can't put all that in the book, right? <laughs> so I found something, um, uh, uh, Toussaint Levatore used to wear painted buttons on his vest. And I was like so fascinated and I had to find more like what was the technique and what was how did it happen? And, and how did you wash something like this? Because if it's paint, it's going to get chipped off and it's got to be something of pride. And like, you know, he's got these you've got a jacket on and then a waistcoat. And a, so you go to all these like levels, right? It's one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> but you know during all that research if i can find something to weave a deeper story um i'm going to utilize it um so one time i was doing some research on osnaberg fabric that's the fabric of the enslaved it's a very coarse um not quite as bad as like sale material but it's very very coarse 
And I studied and I found that the enslaved women would beat him on rocks, beat this cloth on rocks to make it soft. And then they would use uh, the print of, of ink of like flowers and leaves and they'd make these pretty shapes. So they're taking this thing that's rough. You would never really want to put on another on another person's skin and they're making it something beautiful and elegant and they're working it and working and working it. And this is what they're closing their children in. And it just, to me, that you can utilize in so many different aspects of the story. So that's a deep dive that that pays off uh, because I can give you a richer context as opposed to just saying Osdeberg fabric. I can make you feel it. I can, you know, the, the sensation. And then I can help you see the pride. So even though you're an, an, maybe an enslaved person wearing this, the pride and the level of pride that someone has to take the time to do that and to make it special and beautiful so that your children feel special and beautiful, even though they're in the middle of this hard situation. Oh, I so appreciate the fact that you don't feel obligated to jam all that research into the novel itself. No. That it's, it's like you said, <laughs> it's the tip of the iceberg, right? Like it could be one sentence and yet there's this, this foundation underneath it that has, has crafted that. Uh, that's, that's a really great takeaway. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. No, I want you to feel like you're there. Yeah. But without the fear that you're going to get beat down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, you're, you're pretty prolific. You've been doing this a while. Uh, so, you know, Sister Mother Warrior isn't, isn't your first book. Um, and so you, you kind of have your style and your voice. Uh, do you have any updates on Island Queen? I know there was some, uh, some Netflix news not too long ago. Well, the one of the executive uh, directors of Netflix, Julian Robinson and Victoria Fee out of the UK, um, they've optioned it. Uh, we now have an exec, uh, Ando, Lady Dansbury from Bridgerton, is one of the executive producers. And probably another 18 months, we'll have some really good news to share. All so. right. <laughs> yeah. uh, you don't have to be specific, but, you know, uh, what level of involvement will you or, or won't have with, with the production? Just give us a sense. Well, as every good novelist is, I'm a novelist. I'm not a screenwriter. I'm not a movie producer. Um, but, you know, there are certain assurances that I really appreciate these women. Um, I want a diverse uh, writer's room. Um, the idea is this is, should be a television show. Um because, you know, it's, it's got a lot of stuff in Island Queen to make more than, you know, your normal two-hour movie. So this is going to be a television show. And um, you want that perspective. You want the diverse perspective in the room um, with power, making decisions. Um, and you want to honor this, this woman's life. Dorothy Kerwin Thomas is an amazing woman. She should actually be in our history books with all the things that she accomplished. Um, and so... My involvement will be as much as they need, but within the respects of I write books, y'all do movies. <laughs> I'm going to let y'all make, you know, that television. I'm going to let y'all do that. Yeah. <laughs> and so as much as they need me, but uh, I feel I feel very confident in their hands. That's this project is going to be great. That's good. That's good. I'm totally looking forward to it. Let's get into your process a little bit. Uh, let's go past the research. Now Now you're drafting. Is it a certain time of day, a certain place, a certain method you might have? Well, um, before we get off the time, so I told you about this timeline, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. so I've got the timeline, and now I have the person on the timeline. And, you know, my viewpoint, the world is small, so if there's embargoes that are happening, that's going to affect my person. So that, you know, because as you're putting together these, these lives that don't have diaries, that don't have a day-to-day -day documentation, you want to say what's affecting them. So natural disasters, or did they live through any natural disasters? Did they, did, you know, so it, that timeline, that complex timeline with them on it is my driver. And then you, you see, I sit here, this is, this is my wonderful space. I've got within reach, I can, you know, get to technical books and, and, and whatnot, because I want to give you the feeling of the clothes. I want to give you um, every one of the islands uh, in particular have a different form of government. You know, what's France's rules on, on certain things? What's England's rules on certain things, uh, et cetera. So, I, you know, that is driving me because that's the basis of the world. Uh, but I sit here, I, I'm typically a night writer. I will go from 10 to two, no problems. <laughs> That's that's impressive. 
Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, when my daughter was younger and, and the military hubby, you know, they actually want like time and attention. I don't Strange. understand these things. Yeah. But around 10, everybody's in bed. So I get to work. I get to do what I need to do. And, and to me, that's that's extra fun. Nice. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I saw somewhere that you said, uh, write at night, research during the day, weekends are for reading. Is that still true? Pretty true. Pretty yeah. true. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sometimes those other two things encro encroach on the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you... Uh, are, are you typing things out? Do you have a, a, a are you using a word or using Scrivener or some technical tool? What do you use to write? Um, two different things now. So I use Plotter a lot um, because you can, once again, it's it's more of a visual aspect so you can see how the world. And the Aeon timeline is, is my master, uh, the timeline, so all the pieces. But I'm a Scrivener girl because you may write things out of order. Um, you, you know, just, to be able to see it, um, but how you're going to package it, how you're going to, you know, put these, uh, particularly the dual timeline slash, you know, with with these two women, how are you how are you moving things around so that it makes sense, those kind of things. There's nothing better than Scrivener. Uh, one time I tried to do this in Word, and I duplicated a chapter and didn't even realize. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not easy to drag and drop sections around in Word. And you, and you can't globally see it. So it's like yeah. so easy to make mistakes. Yeah. yeah. Do you have to export to Word to when it goes to your editor? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Nobody wants my, my, my Scrivener files are like a gig. <laughs> oh because it's got, it's got research in there. It's got pictures. No one will be able to ever open up that Scrivener file. But oh me. my. You're backing well, that up, right? Huh? You're backing those files up, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> that just yeah. made my heart skip a beat when you said it's a gig. I'm like, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's nothing better. You're working. You're like, hey, what does a uniform look like in uh, 1820? It's there. It's in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, at, at this point in your career, how much revising are you doing? Oh, I love revision is where magic happens, yeah. right? So I'm a three pass girl, okay. typically. So the first pass, I'm just, um, it's a, it's, it's a grunt. You're just grinding to get the, so you get all the goals in place. You get the actual plot of the movement of these people. And then, but they're in a white room wearing white clothes, white flooring, white sky, <laughs> you know, and there may be some emotion, but it's not necessarily an orderly fashion of emotion. It's like what the, the words we're drawing at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. So in the subsequent passes, we're filling in all those details that everyone loves. So you're getting the clothes, you're getting the rooms, you're getting the pottery, you're getting, you know, the way the scenery and landscapes look. And then I'm weaving in that overarching. Now that I, I really feel I know these people. So on the third pass, that deepening of the emotions and the driving themes, that's woven all the way through there. So to me, that makes sense. It, 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 and it, uh, it focuses the narrative um, in the, the concept or the, th the things I want to deliver. Interesting. So I know some writers will do what they call like a dialogue pass where they'll only focus on dialogue or they'll do a, a setting pass. They only focus on setting. It sounds like you're, you're sort of focusing on everything, but you're doing it three times. Do I have that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the first time, once again, we're just, it's platinum gold. My yeah. Pert version is here, 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 here. And this is, this is happening and this is happening and this is happening. That's the first one. It's, 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 some people call it a, 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 a rush draft or a, a harsh draft or just a fa fast draft. Some people call it fast draft. So that's the first one. But that second one is where magic starts to happen because you're because every, to me, everything has to, the scenery is an, uh, is another character. So the scene, the scenery has to reflect what's going on. Uh, changes in scenery, changes the, the positioning of the, of the, of the person's mindset. So everything is a reflection and you're building that in, 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 uh, that second pass. And then that third pass you're smoothing, you're, you're, and you're just deepening. Cause you, you can tell there's moments of like, you know what, we only spend a minute here. Let's, let's go back and dwell and think about what's happening here. And, and, and so that the point that this character is at a climax or a point at where this character is, is, is at a moment of change or a moment of reflection. 
that is emphasized and you keep going from there. So, mm. so I personally, I love passes two and three because those are my favorites. Yeah, those are fun, right? Especially that yes. third one you're polishing and oh, just shaping yes. everything up exactly the way you want it. Yes, yes. Yeah. Do, do, you, do you do anything intentional with theme at any point in the process? Yes. Um, for me, I, and, and it's, it goes back to the women I choose. I'm looking for power women. I want to return to the world women who may not have had the, an easy road, but they figured it out, they persevered, and they won in some form or fashion. So they survived or, or they thrived or they helped their kids to do something different and exciting. But those are the women. And so that theme of how you go from the present state of whatever's going wrong to that moment of victory, those are themes that I'm looking for. And those are stories that I want to give the world. Ah, I love that. You, you are a powerful woman. Uh, take us back to the moment where you realized, I can do this novelist thing. Like, I can, I can do this. Was there, was there a time or <laughs> a moment? Do we ever really get there? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> um, to, to me, okay, so the, to, a, a seminal moment for myself was um, I had written... Um, I'd written about 15, 16 books, primarily in the romance space, historical romance. And I'd always had this idea of this, uh, of, of writing Dorothy Kerwin's story. But I personally didn't think the world was ready to singularly focus on a Black woman who achieved things that everybody says Black women couldn't achieve during this time frame. So, but I'd done all this research, like six years worth of research. So I knew this woman inside and out. Um, and I was on a panel um, at the Historical Novel Society. And you, um, for $20, you get to speak to an editor. Now, first of all, I was grumbling at the $20. I was like, <laughs> you, you made me pay millions of dollars to come here, reservations, um, you know, all these registration costs, money, all this, $20, really? And a friend of mine was like, you got $20. Just put the $20 down. <laughs> so, so I went in, I paid the $20 and I got to have um, time with Rachel Kahn of William Morrow. And because where my head was, um, when I'm telling Dorothy's story, I'm couching it as Prince William's mistress, his Caribbean mistress, because, you know, those are the kind of books I've seen. And, 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 and Rachel looks at me and she's like, we've heard enough about him. I was like, oh crap. Oh, well, um, well, oh, 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 he had two mistresses, the Dorothy Bland, it, you know, the white mistress in England, then the black mistress, Dorothy Kerwin, the two Dorothys. How about that? She's like, no, we heard enough about her. She's like, tell me more about uh, Dorothy Kerwin Thomas. And I was like, oh, well, I blew this big time. Let me just finish this out. And I tell this story about this fabulous woman and she buys the book at the table. Um, so all those things that you hear about people buying stuff, at the she bought it at a table, but it taught me the greatest lesson was we often diminish our own ideas. We often don't have that level of faith in our own ideas and we try and package it in a way that we think is acceptable. The, the world will like it if it looks, it's blue and it's, and it's this small when the world could probably like it if it's the exact way that it is but we don't have the confidence in ourselves to, to, to say it out loud and to pitch it and, and to go with all our gusto. So I will always treasure Rachel for seeing the true story and pushing me to say the true story um, and being willing to publish the true story of Dorothy Kerwin Thomas. So that's my moment where I was like, okay, maybe I need to have a little bit more faith. <laughs> in my ability and a little bit more faith in where the industry is um, because the industry has changed and matured and, and, and is more open to all different types of ideas because it wasn't always that way. And, and, and you're seeing it now. We are in a time and place where people want to hear different stories. And I'm excited about that. Excellent. Let's bring it full circle then. Uh, you are a veteran of the industry. You've seen a lot of things. What are you, Vanessa, really excited about in the near future, whether that's in your own work or writing or publishing in general? Um, I am more and more excited of, about 
the industry realizing that they need a stronger pipeline for underrepresented folks in the editorial process, um, that is exciting um, because you you see it and, and you feel it that people are figuring out they're missing great stories because they don't have the perspective or they don't have the talent on board. Not everybody has a Rachel with the foresight, right? Um, that this is a this is a great story. A lot of people would be like, no, that's not, I don't know how to market that. I, I don't know how the market's not ready for it, as opposed to let's make the market. Let's let's think about how we position this story, this worthwhile story to be told. Um, so that is exciting me. Uh, I can't, you know, I have so many friends writing so many different things. It's exciting to hear the joy in their voice restored because they know that there is a place out there for their 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 books, their ideas, whether they indie publish or whether they go traditionally published, there's a home for work now and you can find an audience. And that, once again, wasn't always the case. And so for me, the the movement of the industry to embrace all, to, to, to embrace all stories is so exciting. Now, have we gone all the way we need to go? No. Still, there's still challenges. Everything has challenges. But I'm just excited to see where things end up. I'm very hopeful. All right. Vanessa's a firecracker. I, uh, I enjoy talking to her. She's, she's lively. Uh, I, I thought um, where I wanted to start, if it's cool with you, is I wanted to talk a little bit about her research process. Uh, I found that fascinating. Um, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm Jones and for for Grandma Joyce's cake. <laughs> yeah, the cakes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what the, the reason was for burying it, but I, I'm guessing that, that there's probably a very good one. Um <laughs> Yeah, research on this kind of thing is, is it always fascinates me because, you know, like history is written by the the victor, you know, so the stuff that we're taught in school, the you know, most of the books that you're going to pick up, you know, from that that standpoint, they're, they're written by the winning side. Um, I love the fact that she mentioned that she went to folk legends and songs and, and things like that to actually pull facts um, because in a lot of ways they're just as telling as those those history books and and in some ways even more so because they're, they're written at the time by the people that are involved in in that particular you know element in history um, so you may get a glimpse of something that you know maybe purposely skirted over in, in those history books when when they're they're finally slapped together um, I imagine she has a lot of fun I mean it's it's almost like being a literary Indiana Jones you know just digging through all this material and, and piecing it together um, one of the other things that she had brought up is, uh, you know, that people back then, you know, they, they, they were incredible writers, you know, like if, if you ever get a chance, read some letters written by like Civil War soldiers and that kind of thing. And I like the, the language and every even their penmanship was was insanely good. It always pisses me off. Um, but they were they were really, really good at that sort of thing. But I, I, until she mentioned it, I never really thought about it. But it does skew heavily male, you know, like at least the material that that's out there, um, because, you know, you can go to you know many libraries and you can you can pull a lot of the, the local you know type stuff you know, related to this and you can read it. And it, it's almost all men. Um, I, I know for a fact that, you know, women obviously were very, you know, they journaled as well. I mean, they they, they kept diaries just as much as the men did. Um, you know, when we wrote the prequel to Dracula, one of the references we had was uh, Matilda Stoker's uh, her own diaries um and and they helped me shape that particular character and, and realize who that person was i have got no idea why historically those those things have disappeared and, and the, the male ones are the ones that that tend to be out there but i think the fact that she actually found some of these um you know that that's huge too because you know a lot of this information it just it ends up in a box somewhere and gets forgotten yeah i, I was thinking about that too like uh, is it what was it there, there were fewer women writing or was it they those those written pieces just haven't survived no, they, I mean, every the way I understand it or from what I've pieced together, just, you know, being 51 years old and absorbing random you know, pieces of knowledge, um, everybody wrote back then, you know, like because there was nothing else to do. So like, it, you know, at, at night, a lot of people kept a, di a diary or a journal and they would just write down what they did during the day. You know, people still do that today, but we've got a lot of distractions. But back then it was done religiously. Um, you know, people would end up with volumes and volumes by the time they, they passed away. And a lot of times that's how children got to know their parents. You know, they, they passed that down. It, it's in, in a lot of ways, it's almost like, you know, we were joking about Facebook at the beginning of all this. But, you know, like my daughter, if she wanted to, like she could go on Facebook or in my wife's case, Instagram, and probably get to learn, you know, who her parents were. Um, you know, back in the day, you know, these kids would, would pick up their, their parents' journals and their diaries and then and they would learn the same thing. Um, 
Yeah, so I, I think everybody did. I, I I don't know why you know it, it just it leans towards the men, and and you know obviously a lot of things historically have gone that route, um, and that could be why you know you might have you know some historian might have had ten women's diaries sitting on a desk in front of him and one man's and decided the man's is the one that you know tells the accurate story and he just shoved the other ones aside. I mean, honestly, that's probably what happened. Yep. Yeah, I would agree with that. I was also kind of struck by the. Uh, and, and this is obviously because of her education and background. Vanessa talked about her, her sort of analytical approach to story. And I thought it was kind of similar to you. You, you, you sort of have an analytical approach to story as well. Well, I, you know, I'm autistic, so, you know, that that's a big part of it. But I, I've also written computer code. Um, I, I write in a, a number of different computer languages. And one of the, the things that I've always you know, found similar to that uh, as with writing is when you write a piece of code, if you're going to write a program, you know, when you write that first line of code, you basically have to understand how it's going to impact that last line of code. And you create that entire framework in between. And, you know, everything ties together very similar to the way the pieces of a novel do. So her being a mechanical engineer, I mean, to me, that makes perfect sense because, you know, she's mapping out that story in the same way a mechanical engineer would, would solve, you know, one particular problem or create, you know, a particular device, um, you know, piece by piece. This piece impacts this one, this woman impacts this one, and you just kind of put it all together. Um, so, yeah, I think it creates that analog type of thinking that, um, you know, that, that helps when it comes to, to creating a novel. Um, I think the, the type of writing that she does also plays a big a big part of that and she had mentioned some of the, the pieces of software that she uses and, and i've been playing with plotter lately um she mentioned another one um i think it was called uh, ion um i was going to write it down um but it's another one where you can basically plot in you know based timeline, on timeline yeah. so you you know yeah so you type in a date and a time and you, you know this particular event happened um and i don't know if we've talked about this on the air but you know again going back to um the dracula prequel that i wrote when bram stoker wrote dracula he wrote a large portion of that book in a day timer <laughs> Um, which I would have never even considered, but like he was, he was a theater manager at the time and paper was difficult to come by. So, you know, he kind of wrote on whatever he could find, but daytimer makes so much sense because, you know, on this particular date at this time, Mina did this, Jonathan Harker did this, you know, like, and, and that's more or less how he plotted out the, the novel. Um, so yes, or, you know, something like this, when you're, especially if you're working with historical figures, actual information, I think plugging it in on something like that, your story could really take shape. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if you, I mean, if you're interested in reading some very rich, beautiful historical prose, you got to check out Vanessa's books because uh, she is definitely doing it right. So, uh, yeah, it was a great conversation with her as well. Who do we got up next week? Next week, we've got Tess Garrison coming back. Um, she's a former medical doctor turned New York Times bestselling thriller author. Her latest novel is called Listen to Me and released about a week ago. All right. Uh, quick reminder from our friends over there at Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers that the 2022 Colorado Gold Writers Conference is taking place September 9 through 11 in Denver. They're drawing writers from the Rocky Mountains and beyond uh, with keynotes from Chuck Wendig, Catherine Center, as well as three days of programming and craft, marketing and more by publishing professionals. And you get all that on top of all of the networking opportunities and a chance to pitch an agent in person. So this September, attend the Colorado Gold Writers Conference to lift up and lift off your writing career. You can register today or find more info at rmfw.org slash conference 2022. And there'll be a link in the show notes. So if you'd like to be notified as soon as no new episodes publish, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and sign up now. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com. <laughs>